Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Raya Jr. Our first guest uh, is uh, Representative Kirsten Harris-Talley, representing the 37th District in Seattle. And uh, I wanted just to take a minute and just let folks know a little bit about her in the background. And after that, there's so much going on in Olympia, she will be uninterrupted as she let us know what she's doing and what her priorities are. So thank you and welcome very much, Representative Harris-Talley, for being on Urban Forum Northwest. The floor is yours. Thank you. And thank you for what you do with and for community. And thank you for the invitation to join you today. Uh, I am Representative Kirsten Harris-Talley. She, her pronouns. And I am the newest addition to our now all women of color delegation that represents the 37th district. I'm really honored to serve the 37th because this district raised me as an activist. So it feels full circle to now be in service to this district. And as you know, um, Mr. Eddie Rye, the history of activism and how it has shaped the consciousness of this district. It is a district of very deeply civically engaged neighbors for generations and also of folks who hold us accountable to values of equity and justice. And so I'm really um, excited about the moment we're in, in this session. We're in a short session. And uh, for me, I've been concentrating on a lot of policy work through interim with community. So over interim, I had conversations with neighbors all over the district, a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of social distance walks and or coffee chats outside, um, always being protective of each other, but finding ways to connect in ways that were safe so that we knew what neighbors were prioritizing. For me, I'm a mom of two, so um, have been with a lot of where neighbors are thinking about our education system, our young people, um, what's going on with the transition from doing school at home. I have a fifth grader and a first grader um, who, uh, uh, my first grader was coming on to kindergarten online. We are now back to school. Thinking a lot about that, uh, we have Representative Santos also in district who's the lead of our education committee, but other considerations for our young people actually fall under our children, youth and families committee. And I serve as vice chair of that committee in the house. And so a lot of considerations there for early learning, childcare, things that really a lot of neighbors in district had conversations about. As you all know, many aunties and elders and folks from this community are our care providers for our children, both in public education and in our child care centers. So considerations about funding and what it is to support folks there, we're going to be putting a lot more funding into behavioral health supports, counselors, um, making sure that PPE, so protective equipment for frontline workers is where it should be, and making sure there's enough dollars and resources um, for maintenance of our schools. So these are all really important issues as folks experienced. Our schools were a hub for a lot of folks from community, whether you had children in those schools or not through this pandemic. So putting a lot of care there, which I really appreciate seeing. I also, in the Children, Youth, and Family Committee, work on juvenile justice issues. So have a lot that I've been working on with community there as well. Keep going. <laughs> Wonderful. I just wanted to make sure if you had a question. Um, no, no I, want, I want my listeners to hear the, your wisdom and the, the vineyards that you are toiling in on their behalf. That's the most important thing for me. 
At the end of this, I will have a question or two, but right now you're dispensing with some very important information. You know, looking at the COVID, seeing schools don't know if they're going to be open or closed. Now we're hearing there's another variant out now. That, right. So, you know, it's just as soon as, you know, we get ready to open up, here comes something else. So hopefully it doesn't devastate us like the first two did. Absolutely. And to your point, I think all of us are thinking of the intersections of that for small businesses as well. I know we've seen a lot of businesses really having to be creative about how they keep their doors open. I, The small businesses in our communities are the heart and soul of our communities. There are gathering places as well as the places where we share our culture and our history. Um, so we're putting a lot of investment in care there as well. And so we've had some of those considerations in the finance committee that I serve on. Um, so really taking a look at what COVID recovery is going to look like. And to your point, Mr. Eddie Rye, um, the Legislative Black Caucus that I am vice chair of, we have 10 legislators, Black legislators now serving simultaneously in our state legislature. It's the first time in our history we've had that many members. We added one since last year even. Um, so uh, Senator Lovick, who was previously Representative Lovick, was appointed. And so we now have two Black senators, which is wonderful, um, and then eight representatives. So we have been putting a huge priority on considerations of what does healthcare look like with a particular focus on how Black communities have been impacted when it comes to health and healthcare. So we actually have a priority for a budget consideration in district for the Tubman Center for Health and Freedom. And it's looking at land acquisition and building a healthcare facility as a flagship hub facility for the Black community for healthcare. And we have a lot of that infrastructure and have for generations had considerations of culturally competent care given by those who look like our communities. So we are excited to see that at this moment when we are digging into budget deliberations between the Senate and the House, it is good to see that this project has been elevated in both the Senate and House budget. So that means that there is a high likelihood it will be funded. So we continue to advocate for that work as well. Um, and in regards to juvenile justice, I actually have two policies that were worked on with the administration of uh, the courts at the state level, as well as community members. One is looking at ending the practice of parent pay. Since 1977 in our state, we have actually, when we charge, when we incarcerate youth in our state, we charge the families for that youth's incarceration. This puts undue burden uh, and debt on the family. This, of course, has, adds a whole bunch of adverse impacts when those youth then go back home to their family because their family is often then in debt to the state still for that incarceration. And um, it's a practice we've had for 45 years, and we are looking to end that practice in, in the state. One exciting development with this bill is that in, in partway through stewarding this bill, at the local level, administrators from local county levels, um, where regretfully in this state we still incarcerate youth as well, also came forward and said they wanted to end the practice. So we're looking at ending the practice at all levels of jurisdiction in the state with this policy. It passed with very strong bipartisan support out of the House um, and is being considered in the Senate now. And I also have a bill around extending options for diversion 
for juveniles. So when a juvenile finds themselves in the court system, an alternative to incarcerating them is having diversion options where they have community work. So making amends directly back in the community with community. And so extending more of those options. So adding a six month extension option for those who are in diversion programs and encouraging more diversion um, for youth who find themselves making a mistake and needing to make amends. Um, so I'm really excited about the sort of tone and direction of those conversations. This is a deeply impactful issue for our district and something a lot of neighbors talk to me about over interim. <clears throat> the one question I have is that we've been following this for, you know, we, we've not had affirmative action in the state for 23 years since Governor Gary Locke's Governor's Directive 98-01, <clears throat> which was recently rescinded by Governor Jay Inslee. But have you, are you familiar with the, the disparity studies that's been done by Washington Sound Transit, the city of Seattle? They all say the same thing, is that Blacks are just, just marginalized completely, not even doing 1% with any of these uh, entities. And then after the governor signs uh, the executive order, Washington comes out with a 2% goal for women and minorities on the West Seattle Bridge. So it doesn't seem very encouraging that a lot's going to change. And I was just curious because, as you might know or might not know, uh, November 22nd, a formal complaint was filed with these disparity studies to the United States Department of Justice Civil Rights Division to have them investigate. It was supported by uh, 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 Congressman Adam Smith, who had sent a letter in after he his staff reviewed the documentation because no uh, efforts were made to remedy any of the discrimination toward blacks. And I was just wondering if you had an opportunity to, to review any of those disparity studies. I, I appreciate you raising this issue for folks who aren't aware um, with the considerations that, as you noted, for over two decades now, we've been dealing with the fact that this has been the way that the interpretation of the executive order under then uh, Governor Gary Locke had been interpreted. And uh, current Governor Inslee has um, reinterpreted the way that the executive branch will, will respond to that um, affirmative action consideration. What that means for all of us in Washington State is that literally every division of government is not under me and my colleagues as the legislature, but is under the executive. It's under the governor, which means the Department of Health, the Department of Natural Resources and their partnership, the de departments that are part of our education system, everything that impacts our lives can be impacted by this. So what you're bringing up is, is hugely important. What I know is that it's been only a few short weeks since Inslee has said what he has said. And as you have noted, what we now need to see is the work of the follow through in actions under these divisions, under the governor and how they act and respond and how equity is, is considered. So that's, I know, a big priority. The 2% goal in the West Seattle is not very encouraging. It is not. It is not a good start. I will tell you some things that do encourage me, though. We do have the first in the country an Office of Equity and the new director there, uh, Dr. Karen Johnson. I am very encouraged by her presence there, a Black elder who really understands that racial justice is justice and equity. So there are those sorts of markers of divisions that are being built that will have some of the accountability, I think, that you and I are looking for in that. So I'm looking forward to working with, with departments like that as, as we see this followed through. Um, yes, I've worked with Dr. J, as we call it in the hood. I've worked with Dr. J for decades. And if the governor lets her go, and, uh, you know, and she reports right to the governor about getting things done, I think things can get done. 
she she seems like a woman who knows how to get things done. So I don't doubt that. And if that's been your experience, I, I look forward to it and where she is now. Well, you know, uh, uh, Representative Harris-Talley, we really do appreciate what you're doing in Olympia. Now, if there's one thing you'd have to like to have complete, the session's over, what, March? Is it March uh, 5th? What is the short ends thing? on March 10th this year. March 10th. Short what is the, What is the one thing you'd like to have accomplished by March 10th? I am working on a doulas for all bill that has been built over four years by doulas who are non-medical professionals that support people who are giving birth. Um, all of the folks on the front lines of this work I've been working with are black um, folks on the front lines of this work as doulas who've supported literally thousands of families yes. and, and having yes. healthy births and healthy babies. And that is my heart work. The way it's been built by community and the fact that it is centered on the most vulnerable people in our community um, at what I know as a mom of two who had a doula beside me in one of my births. Um, and what a difference it made to have someone supporting you through what is a really stressful moment. Uh, for everyone who's given birth, you have a moment where you think you can't do it. That, that it's not going to be possible. And having someone there beside you to coach you, to advise you, to help you know your rights when a medical emergency comes up. I've also had a birth where that happened. Um, that kind of support is huge. And with the certification with this bill, we're going to be able to provide this for the first time for Medicaid recipients, which is 52% of people who give birth in our state are under Medicaid. So that is a transformative act about what racial justice looks like when it comes to our healthcare system. So I'm very excited about that bill. Get in that signature from the governor. That's the one I wanna see get all the way. Okay, one other one. The hottest issue going right now is Russia's invaded Ukraine. As you know, uh, African-Americans have gone to every war, died in every war this country's ever fought even in segregated units, came back to segregation and degradation. Right now, there are hundreds of thousands of Blacks in the U.S. military, many of them on alert in Portland, Portland and other places. But at the same time, their people don't have a right to vote. Should we continue just to be so patriotic, and African Americans are the most patriotic group in this country, but should we can, can, can say like Muhammad Ali, hell no, we won't go. If we can't vote, we can't fight. When do we draw the line? I mean, it's it's a good question and it's an important question. Um, seeing ourselves in this international context, I, of course, thought immediately, what are the tools and what are we going to do stateside? Right. We have very limited options. What you're what you're talking about are considerations on a national level. Um, I will say I am one that um, if you have an option, war is not the answer. And okay. you are certainly right generationally that what we've seen are a lot of lost Black lives for very little freedom upon return. But I will say this, Washington State stood up and we have provided funding and supports to community groups on the front lines for the Afghan refugees who needed support. And I can imagine that those kind of asks will come again. And I hope we will continue to be a state that says if folks need safe harbor, we're going to find a way to make it happen. Okay, Representative Kirsten Hallis Talley, thank you very much for your time, your work at Olympia, and your foresight, because uh, I think you're going to get some things done that we really appreciate your leadership and your representation at Olympia. So thank you very much.
thank you and thank you for keeping us connected to the civic heart and community voice. I really appreciate you. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, uh, Eric, uh, do we have our next guest on the line, Senator, Senator Bob Hasegawa? Hey, Eddie. Senator Bob, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, great, great. So, yeah, we just talked to Representative Kirsten uh, Harris-Talley and wanted to find out from you. Uh, we, Everybody in my community want to know about the state bank legislation that you've been sponsoring. Where is that? And uh, I sent a notice out to everyone, but we had some other issues. I didn't make the hearing, but I just want to know if you can share with our listeners where, where that situation is right now. Well, there's good news and there's bad news. Let me tell you first, uh, I got a little treat for you because my staff is on this call because we were having a staff lunch and then we took a break to talk with you. So I invited them to come along and listen in. So they're sitting here with me. Why don't you let us know who the staff is? Okay. Well, I got my uh, executive legislative assistant is Jenny Chang and then my legislative assistant is Natasha uh, Natasha Latilla, and then uh, my intern is Denisha Harrison. D- Denisha, say hey to Eddie because you got something I think you want to say to him. Hi. <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> uh, oh, that's my baby. <laughs> All right. Well, she's she's a big fan of your daughters. That's what. Oh, well, you see, it's a a big difference between Eddie Ryan, the old man, and Angela Ryan. (laughs) But I'm glad to hear that that, that you are aware of Angela Ryan. Matter of fact, she'll be here late tonight. uh, We relocated. Bob, I'm not in your district. When did Uh they take Kulon Park out of the 11th district and put us in the 41st? Did I lose y'all? No, can you hear me? Okay, yeah, I I guess my staff side dumped on my, you know, internet and all of that stuff. I got really bad connection here. Our staff meeting is remote, so we were all, like, calling in together, and we ordered uh, lunch delivered to everybody. So That's a pretty good deal. You know how to take care of your staff. But, Bob, (laughs) I still want to know about uh, 1029 North 27th Place. It's called Coral Creek. The next, uh, right by Kennedale, about seven blocks from Kulon Park, and I'm now in the 41st district. Oh, man, bummer. Hate to lose you. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I, have to, yeah, I guess what, uh, Milan Tai, is that, is that is that her name? And yeah, Milan. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to look them all up. I want you, you and Sharon Tomiko to give me a good reference with folks I don't know. Yeah, Milan is great. Yeah, uh, I, I, know, I, we've I voted together. against that. I voted against the uh, redistricting bill when it came through the the Senate because I I thought that it was bad on multiple levels. You know, first off, they carved me out of my own district, right, Beacon Hills, Old Hood, and uh, I can't. I have to move. I can't live in in my own neighborhood if I want to stay the senator for the eleventh district. So what they ended up doing was pitting a sitting member of color from the 11th against a sitting member of color from the 37th, which means either I got to move 
because I'm no longer in the 11th, or I have to run against a sitting person of color. So ultimately, that would reduce the numbers of people of color in the Senate by one. Yeah. That ain't good. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing how they kind of carve things up. But what about uh, the, the the bank legislation? Okay. Yeah, so the good the last several years, you've been... Go right well, ahead. I'll give you the bad news on it. The bill, the bill for our state bank died. But because, um, you know, I was told a couple of years ago by a couple of my colleagues, as long as my name was attached to it, there's no way that they would ever vote for it. So I gave it to somebody else to carry, and it went no further than when I was pushing it, right? So it died uh, this year. But uh, the good news is I got a different bill, Senate Joint Memorial 8006, that calls on Congress to pass a bill which has already been dropped there to create a national infrastructure bank. So that it's called HR three 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 nine to create a national infrastructure bank. It's been um, endorsed by the uh, National Black Caucus of State Legislators. Uh, and, uh, huh? No, I said that's not. Uh, yeah, NBC Leo, well, that's local election officials. But yeah, that's good. So, uh, you know, uh, Bob, it would be good if we could get a copy of that, uh, from, especially from from uh, uh, the uh, Black Caucus of, uh, of uh, state elected officials. If we can get a copy of that, then we could get some people uh, motivated in, uh, in this area, you know, like through the Tacoma Pierce County Black Elective, the NAACP. Uh, the, the Black uh, uh, United Black Christian Clergy of Washington State, even get the Church Council of Greater Seattle, anyone and all organizations concerned with equitable treatment of all people, all uh, United States citizens, regardless of color, race, or uh, uh, preference. I just think we just need to start getting all these folks engaged so that uh, it's for the benefit of, of, of our, 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 your own people. But I know some people don't want to claim it, but that's all right. Yeah. So well, what do you suggest we do? Can we can we get that information so we can get it circulated? Yeah, you betcha. Um, my bill, Senate Joint Memorial 8006, is in the House, in the Rules Committee now, so we're trying to get it pulled to the House floor to get it passed. But once it gets passed, that's a statement by the state of Washington to tell Congress and the president to pass that National Infrastructure Bank. So there's a lot of different organizations uh, supporting this effort. It's it's like building at the national level what we're trying to do here at the state level with a state okay. bank. Yeah, well, I'll call Derek Johnson, national president of the NAACP, and Mark Muriel, the national president and CEO of the Urban National Urban League, and make uh-huh. sure they're on board as well. And then I do know a significant number of the members of the Congressional Black Caucus as well. Uh-huh. So whatever I can do to help in the process, just let me know. And then we can get our people to reaching out all across the country, uh, it, like through the National Association of Minority Contractors and others that have chapters all over. And then another good uh, body is uh, Reverend Jackson and Reverend Sharpton, because they have branches of Rainbow Push and the National Action Network, and they're real activists and, and really do fight for economic justice. So those are some of the things that I would encourage on not only me, but also the listeners to do to bring us closer to being able to go and get what we need so we can uh, move on up the ladder in terms of yeah. economics. So what are, what are the issues are you working on, Bob? What, are, what is the next most important thing? And what do you want to see accomplished before March 10th, the end of this short session? 
Well, one of the things I was working on is, you know, how a lot of uh, the state agencies use these automated decision-making systems or artificial intelligence to screen people and to make decisions that real people should be making. And so I've been working on trying to get, identify all of these automated decision systems that the state's using um, and all of the communities of color supporting my bill is 5116, which I couldn't get passed, but we got it implemented in a budget proviso instead. Because um, we all want to see these things not just go away, but tested to see if there's racial discrimination embedded within all of these programs, how they're making decisions. Because, you know, when, when, a, when somebody writes a program, it's basically the personality of the person writing the program. And if you've got, you know, white people bringing their white biases to either how they're writing the programs or the data that sets that they're using and all of that, they're going to, the programs can do nothing but make bad decisions. That Didn't we see this already with the Washington State Patrol? Didn't we already see a good example of this with the Washington State Patrol <laughs> that is yeah, overwhelmingly right. white with a black chief? And yeah. because they use this psychological profile to screen out blacks and other folks of color and primarily blacks. Yeah. So imagine if that person that was doing that screening wrote a program to replace him. Then you can imagine. And the thing is, once you've been screened out, who do you go to complain about it? Because there is mm. nobody there. They say, well, hey, that's the computer made that decision. So don't blame us. And that's BS. So we need to look at all of these programs that are making these kinds you know it's screening so many um single mothers for instance out of uh, working connections uh, child care programs or TANF programs and all of these different programs they all use ads to make a lot of their decisions so we need to get a grip on that and uh, fix them if they need fixing yeah so uh, let me know what do you want to see accomplished before march 10th Mark, for March 10th, I think our community needs to just show up in, in these committee meetings and give the uh, BIPOC perspective on all the bill hearings, on all the bills that are being heard in the committee. You know, And it's easy to do. Just go to the bill's website that, that's being heard, and, you know, ledge.wa.gov, go to bill information, type in the bill number, and then just you know, it, there's links there that say, do you want to give your opinion on this bill? So you I'll tell you say, what, hey, Senator hey, Bob, would you please uh, have your staff email me uh, the bills that we need to be focusing on? And I can share that uh, with uh, MLK Gandhi Empowerment Initiative Advisors. Matter of fact, Jesse Johnson is one of the advisors on MLK Gandhi Empowerment Initiative. So what I'd like to do is share that also with the clergy and other people who are reaching a lot of other people so we could do this, this fourth quarter uh, blitz on on getting something done for our people through Washington State Legislature. But anyway, Senator Bob and staff, I want to thank you very much for your time today. And uh, uh, I'll be looking forward to receiving that information so we can have your back, my brother, and you and your staff for doing an outstanding job. We certainly appreciate you. Oh, thanks, Brother Eddie. I appreciate you, too. Hey, where's and I got. Uh, I guess he's, uh, we just did the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee on Monday night as part of the Black History Celebration. And Hayward did an outstanding job in putting together the program. We honored the first, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, 
the first fire chief, uh, Claude Harris, got the Norm Rice Award, the first black mayor. And uh, Christopher Williams at the Park Department received the Reverend Paul Benz Award for Public Servant. And uh, April Sims, uh, Secretary Treasurer of uh, AFL-CIO, I mean, AFL-CIO, Washington Labor Council, she received, uh, uh, was it the, 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 I'm trying to think, was it the Peggy Maxey? Peggy Peggy Maxey was there in person. She, Peggy Maxey was the first, the first black uh, female to be elected to the state house in 1970. And she started her term was in 71, but she was the first black female. And mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, she got the, the Owen Bush award because he was the first black state representative in, in 1889 for the first legislative session. And he passed, he got the bill, sponsored a bill to create Washington State College. So anyway, my brother, we're out of time, but give me that information so we can get real busy in these next couple of weeks. Matter of fact, <laughs> right, 12 days. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Mr. Senator Hasegawa's staff as well. Yeah, yeah. I lost my internet connection went default. Okay, so you, they had to drop off, but thanks. I'll let them know. Okay, okay then, Senator Bob. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay. All right, Eric, we'll take a break and come back with our next guest after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend Port Gen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Be sure to support the sponsors of your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. All right, Eddie Ride back, rocking and grooving with Eric. Uh, my next guest is uh, Reggie White. He had owned a mer- medical marijuana store in West Seattle. And uh, when uh, legalized, a legalized recreational marijuana, uh, he was displaced out of his store. And we know that uh, there is now a African-American Washington State African American Cannabis Association. And uh, I don't know exactly, you know, what they're doing, but I'm glad they're coming together. 
But Reggie, I want you, Reggie White, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. And without further ado, I'd just like to have you share your story about what happened to you uh, in your West Seattle store. Well, I had a medical marijuana store on West Se- in West Seattle on California Avenue. I was there for a little bit over four years. And then uh, as recreational cannabis came in, they reached out to me and told me that if I followed all the guidelines that they gave me, which was to serve only to patients and to pay sales tax, that they would make me a priority to get a license for the recreational marijuana. So I did all those things that they asked me to do. And then when it was time for them to issue me a license, they told me that they were not issuing any more licenses in Seattle and that I was to find a uh, location in unincorporated King County, which I've, I've been on California Avenue for four years and doing business, had a good relationship with my landlord. He understood that I was going to go recreational, gave me a lease for this. Everything was good except the liquor and cannabis board wouldn't give me a license there. They pushed me out to unincorporated King County. I looked in an unincorporated King County. I found four different locations. They denied all of them due to their regulations. One of them was 982 feet from a school, the way the crow flies. They wouldn't make an exception for that. So time was running out. My license was about to expire. A gentleman reached out to me and told me if he could find a location, would I, you know, be a partner with him? So I said, of course, because the only option, I was about to lose the one license that they were willing to give me in Uncorporated King County. So he found a location on Vashon Island. So he op- we opened the store on Vashon Island, very modest. The only way you can get there is by boat. Uh, for the last three years, I haven't really made any money. The store has kind of turned around and doing a little bit better now, but they promised me a store in Seattle. And that's what I wanted. I wanted a store in Seattle to continue to do business as I've been doing and to help support my family. That's all I wanted. And I ended up with a store in Vashon Island making very little money. Mm -hmm. What happened to the uh, store that you had on on California Avenue? Well, another marijuana store moved right in after they moved me out. After I had to leave the location and couldn't stay there, another store moved right in there, in that location. Selling recreational marijuana? Yeah, for recreational marijuana. Yeah. What did the the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board tell you or did you ask, even ask them why would they allow this other entity to move in when they said it wouldn't issue you a license? Well, Seems to me that's that, sound like a little racism to me. Well, I think the other entity already had a license in Seattle, but they, I, I guess my location was a much desire, a better location. So they moved their, their license from wherever they were to the store that where, where I was, you know. Did you get anything in writing from the Liquor and Cannabis Board stating why you were being moved? And I guess the question I'll have to ask uh, of the governor's office is why was this allowed to happen? Because there's already a disparity 
of African-Americans in the cannabis industry in Seattle and Kane County. And uh, this discrimination just seems to be completely ignored by elected officials. And it's time for somebody to be accountable. So uh, I'll personally take this up with a couple of county council members and the county executive, as well as uh, I think, uh, well, even this is state regulated. I think uh, the mayor's office need to be concerned about how black folks are being treated as well by state regulated institutions like the Washington State Cannabis and Liquor Board. Did you get any help from anybody on the Cannabis and Liquor Board? No, no, I, I basically had to struggle through the whole process on my own. And uh, basically at the, the last week where I was expecting a, um, the final inspection guy to come out, they gave me a call and just said, we're not issuing any more licenses in Seattle. That's all that they, the only explanation that they gave me. After I also spent a great deal of my own money to re-retrofit that store, which with the cameras, all the, uh, the, the reinforced the doors and put up walls and put in new counters and shelving and all the stuff that they required for me to, to be a, you know, a recreational store. I, I lost all that money. I had to just walk away from it. And, and we, you know, the more we talk about this racism and stuff, the more it happens. And I just think this is one I'm going to personally uh, contact some folks at the White State Civil Rights Coalition, the National Association of Minority Contractors, uh, the United Black Christian Clergy and others, including the Church Council of Greater Seattle. This kind of discrimination has got to stop. Now, here we are. The governor just signed. The, when did, when did they, they close your store? How, how long ago was that? Uh, it was like four years ago. Okay. Okay. But still, right when, were, a, right, right when everybody was getting their licenses, I, I actually, after they denied me the license, I, I had no other uh, recourse, but to try to find another location, which I was unsuccessfully <laughs> able to do. Due you know, to Reggie, there, there's uh, two people I want you to call. And if you haven't joined the NAACP, go online and join. But I want you to call uh, a brother by the name of Claude Burfick. He is uh, first vice president, and he's also uh, does a lot with labor, and he does a lot with election officials. And the other person I want you to call is James Bible, so you can get some legal uh, input into your situation. And you can talk to James. I'm sure it won't, won't cost you anything, but at least he can tell you what your rights are. Because what I see... What I see is first-class discrimination on California Avenue. Uh, they could have easily given you that, given you that that uh, that license. So, anyway, well, let's get off get offline. You know, people who are listening, uh, if you got any research or anything done, hey, please let me know about it. But uh, I will uh, send you uh, after the program. I'll text you uh, James Bible's number, and also there's another person that I want you to speak with as well. Have you had any dealerships with the Washington State uh, African American Cannabis Association? Well, I've been uh, attending their uh, Zoom meetings, which I find, you know, kind of tedious, not really addressing anything. I mean, a bunch of hypothetical things. So, I mean, I'm just trying to stay in the loop. So when okay. they do, well, no, it's good. It's good. To, it's good to be in the loop. Whether you know, no matter what you think about, it's good to be there to hear firsthand for yourself. 
because you are in this industry. We're going to do whatever we can to get you back in this industry in the city of Seattle. And I, that's one of the things I hope that we're able to talk to Mayor Bruce Harrell's office. Maybe he can also use his influence. So, Reggie White, I will be in touch. Thank you very much for your time today, brother. All right. I appreciate you too, Mr. Rye. Thank you. Okay. All power to the people. Okay. All right. All right. Um, all right. My next guest is uh, Harold Wright who is a retired electrical contractor, was very successful business. He also was very active in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and 2100, and he also is still active. And he also is the author of five books. Uh, He has participated in major shutdowns on construction jobs and has also testified before uh, the local government entities in Olympia and probably in D.C. too. So uh, here, all right, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. Hey, man. Thank you. Okay. What I want you to do is, uh, uh, first of all, I'll give the other folks a minute or so of, uh, just about here, all right, and where you are today. Just go ahead and let them know where you've been. Okay. Uh, again, my name is Harold Wright. Um, I was born New York City, Harlem Hospital, raised, my family raised me, uh, sent me to, sent us, I'm going to say us because we're my brother myself, sent us to Virginia because of the problems in New York, as they are today, very bad. And uh, when we got down there, that was a life-changing thing that I can't even express to any of you about what that did. They gave us a second mother because she sent us down to stay with a lady down in Virginia. And that family, we actually, actually graduated from high school down there. And then I went into the Marine Corps, and then, and by the way, after gradu- while graduating, before I even went into the Marine Corps, I, I started high school in, in, in about 53, and in that school that we went to, I got an education segregated, but very good. I didn't realize it was good until I got to be grown, grown, and competing against people out here in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the world in my trade. And actually, at uh, 17 years old, or 18, when I went to Marine Corps, I was a journeyman electrician. Although, we know that the things electrical at that time wasn't as sophisticated as they are now, but I could, you know, actually wire a house. When I went to Marine Corps, they took me in as a, an electrician, a wireman. And then I went on from there to uh, about three or four jobs that I did, uh, pardon me, companies that I worked for, came to Boeing. Boeing brought me out here. And then I quit Boeing because of the the terrible racism they had out there about working with black men. Went to work for a black company, Scotch Electric. Uh, He fired me because I was out there shutting down, helping helping Tyree Scott. Those of you who don't know, look up Tyree Scott, University of Washington Archives, and you'll see what, what he did. We went out and shut down the job, and Mr. Scott, his dad, fired me because I didn't do something, and I would have fired myself because I did do it wrong. And then I went on to a Cochrane Electric, and then to myself, right, Incorporated, for 40, 40 years to the date I started, and I quit. And then from there on, I was with different organizations uh, all, all down the line, uh, and I'm going to name a couple of those organizations. I worked with Model Cities Economic Task Force, United Construction Workers Association, Community 
Coalition for Contracts and Jobs. That was really recent in the 90s. Uh, Central Contractors Association, the Black Builders. And most of these organizations are not necessarily defunct, but they're not active. And uh, that, those, are the, those are the organizations that I put out my life on the line with and for the people of Seattle, the black people of Seattle, the black people to put them under the uh, under hard hats. That's what I live for. I don't work for me. I don't. I don't like to talk about me. So I'm gonna stop talking about me. Maybe answer some questions that you may have. So right now, here, uh, how do, what do you think about the current condition of uh, blacks uh, in getting construction jobs? You know, the governor signed an executive order, uh, and I guess some. Uh, Two weeks to three weeks after that, the State Department of Transportation put out a 2% goal on the West Seattle Bridge. And we know that's a, 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 a huge contract. So what do you what do you think it's going to take for us to turn things around to get included? Because all the disparity studies say African descendants of the United States enslaved the black folks have been here 400 years. Uh, just if they're doing 1%, it's great. But most of them are not doing 1%. Right. Uh, when, I, when I hear that, and I didn't know that it was two percent. By the way, I didn't know that he that that it got turned around and they gave out a percentage. Uh, we have a problem here in Seattle, or maybe around the country, but let's talk Seattle about getting black folks work anywhere. And the West Seattle Bridge is a, is a good one to start with because of the, of the millions of dollars that's being done. What we need to do is to, in my opinion is to shut it down, just like the concrete guys are shutting it down right now. And we don't necessarily have to have a 1,000 men to do that. We can do it, but we have to come together and figure out, just say what we want to do and bring it, and then shut it down. Now, you know Benita Thomas and Patricia Pascal would be right there. Now, you know that. <laughs> I know both of them very well. But I didn't know they were working on it, or if they are working. No, no, they would. If you called them and told them you were shut it down, they'd come with you. Yeah, okay, but that's okay. But but that's what needs to be done. But we need a few more people, and I don't mean that we need a crowd. We need our people to understand what we're doing. How to run a bulldozer over the cliff, huh? I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> now, look, you also, uh, because we got, we got about five or six minutes left, you also have been an author of five books. Would you just go ahead briefly, the title of each book, where they can get it, and just a quick, like, one-minute overview for each one? Okay. Uh, um, title, uh, let me go to my website, www.booksbyright.com. www.booksbyright.com. And you can get them, you can, if you get that, open that website up, you'll see where, you can, you know, see the, the number of books, and you can order them right there if you wish. Okay. My first book was Radiant. Radiant is the place where I, I told you at the beginning of my, of, my, of my discussion that I was raised after I left, after my, my mother sent us down to Virginia. Virginia. And that's uh, the first book that I wrote, and that tells about mostly about me, but I had some sisters that didn't, they didn't know about much about me, half-sisters, let me say it that way. So I wrote that to show a little bit about me. And 
And and then the other book, and I also got things in it leading up to some of the things that I did in the construction industry, fighting and carrying on, which I do and still do. If you want to fight, call me up. That's that's what I do. Uh, uh, the, the next one was Light Rail in the Valley. Light Rail in the Valley is about the Martin Luther King Way destruction, where they went down there with this light rail, and not not one that I know of, uh, electrical contractors, black, got not a job, not one job, and I'm one included, not one. That was a billion-dollar job. Electrical, half of that is electrical. We didn't get not one cent out of that uh, of that work. Uh, the other job, the next book that I wrote was uh, uh, Pain Inflicted by a Nation. That book is talking about all the bad things that we don't really know what bad things happen to. We know some of them, but we don't know when, the dates, and why. I wrote a book on that. I collected the information, because that's what, that's what we don't know. And the information is, some of it is out there, and I collected it, put it together, and called it Pain Inflicted by a Nation. And everything in there is negative, what the white boy did to black or African Americans. The third book, or the fourth book I wrote, was Reconstruction. That book came because of pain inflicted by a nation. There's so much stuff to be looked at, listened to, and looked at, and understood. Reconstruction period uh, that I wrote about, which was uh, the, the, the 18, 1866 through 1880. Some people would say it was a little shorter, but it's about 14 years. And that tells about how this Jim Crow put a foot on our necks, and it's still on our necks today. All right? And the, the fifth book is talking about freedom. Freedom. What does freedom look like? And that's what we, as black folks, and I split that up with freedom. What does freedom look like with, a, with another part with, with, about, about our presidents? What our presidents do best, and that, and if you, and most of you can put an ending to that, they just, they don't do anything other than take money, be corrupt, and, and in my research, I found that of all the presidents we had, only maybe two percent, maybe two, three, three, three of those guys were halfway decent. The rest of them were all crooks, or had crooks in the back pocket, or did something to do with negativity. So. That's what I did. What I spent my, my last few uh, oh, hours working on that book and got a, got it published and into the Library of Congress in, in D.C. Harold, I want to ask you one question I've asked uh, Kirsten Harris-Sally earlier. Right now, we have hundreds of thousands of black folks in the military. A lot of them might have to be uh, probably in Poland right now. Uh, what do you think about us defending someone else's freedom and black people don't have the freedom to vote in the United States of America. Uh, there's no, Eddie, you and I know each other from years and years, so you know I'm going because you know my feeling about that. We shouldn't, we shouldn't even, just, uh, I don't know, just don't, don't ignore the call. Ignore the call. We don't need to be over there fighting for nobody. We need to be fighting here. As what Muhammad always say, ain't nobody over there called me a nigga. Right? Yeah. Not one person over there called me a nigga. So why should we now, with the education and the thoughts that we have in our uh, in, in our in our uh, repertoire of words and things that they do, why should we hurry up and go over there and point a gun at somebody who never ever don't even know me? 
I'm, I'm yeah, saying well, we shouldn't go. We shouldn't go. Yeah, well, I, I just think right now, if you know, if, if somebody's on the front lines defending someone else's freedom and their own people have a right to vote in a country that they've defended for 400 years, built 254 years of slavery. We were here a lot of time is up, but thank you very much for sharing that information with us. And we appreciate you. So thank you, Harold. And call me anytime, Eddie. Thank you. Okay. Eric, we're going to take this last break and I'll come back and wrap it up. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Want to hear something different from talk radio? Keep your dial on Alternative Talk 1150. I want to thank, uh, first of all, give a shout out of condolence to the Johnson family, uh, the loss of their brother Keith yesterday, uh, Terry Johnson, Anita, Greg, and the gang. Uh, and at the same time, uh, we're still looking for my brother Jerry, who's been missing for over two weeks. But I do want to thank uh, Liz Alzir at the uh, City of Seattle's uh, uh, Contru- Purchasing Construction Services Department, uh, Sound Transit, uh, Chief Labor Chief Leslie Jones, uh, Civil Rights Azar, uh, John T. Robinson, uh, Miss Rosalind down in the Accounts Payable, and then the Port of Seattle with uh, me and Rice. Uh, Mr. Coleman and Ms. Josie Regan. Uh, I also want to thank, uh, I got to thank the chair of the Sound Transit Board too, Kent Keel, uh, uh, Councilman Kent Keel out of uh, uh, University Places, the chair of the Sound Transit Board. I uh, haven't heard anything about what the pr- process is, about uh, when they're going to have a new CEO. Uh, Roger, the CEO, Rogoff is going to be leaving, I guess, uh, fairly soon. So I haven't heard anything about that. As soon as I hear something, I will report that to you. And uh want to thank all the people who participated this past Monday at the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee's Black History event. Hayward Evans did an outstanding job. Congratulations to April Sims, Peggy Maxey, uh, as well as Christopher Williams, 
uh, in all line of reads, Claude Harris brought a victory. And thanks to the fire chief for bringing out the fire department, uh, Chief Harold Scoggins. Uh, talk to you again next week. Thank you.